Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Thanks for listening to Basic Folk. This is a podcast where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. It's Cindy Howes, and I'm your host. Glad you could join me today. Man, I am so pumped. Amanda Shires is on the podcast. Let's thank our sponsors and then get into what we talk about with Amanda Shires. Basic Folk receives support from McDean, songwriters who love each other. McDean would be delighted to send you a free CD of their first EP, The Sampler Plate. Email lin at mcdean.co, lin at mcdean.co to get one. Amanda Shires, Texas-born, Nashville-based, side player turned songwriter turned force of nature in Americana folk and the alt-country world. Her partnership with Jason Isbell is legendary. Her most current project, The High Women, is well on its way to legendary status. She started her career when she was 15 years old with the Texas Playboys. This is so interesting. Amanda Shires found herself on the road as like a teenager for the first time with a bunch of 70 and 80-year-old uh, musicians, gentlemen on the road. She cut her teeth and learned plenty in that experience, moved to Nashville to establish her songwriting career. She got close to her friend, Jason Isbell, after she had uh, some serious damage done to her left ring finger. Jason offered to drive her to doctor's appointments, and their relationship grew from there. Amanda radiates a friendly, goofy, open-hearted personality that translates into her playing and her writing. That all comes through the minute you meet her, whether you talk to her for two minutes or you're her best friend on the road with her, which she does have her best friend, Kelly, uh, tour managing her on the road. We get some great stories from her during this interview, like the time she asked Brandy Carlisle to start the High Women with her, like just moments before Brandy was about to go on stage, Brandy was like, that sounds like a good idea. You should call me. I got to go on stage right now. Uh, or the time when her husband tried to use her Leonard Cohen guitar to write a song. Also, we learned something really cool in the lightning round that Amanda loves rap and hip hop. And when she was learning Texas fiddle, she really wanted to be a hip hop fiddleist, which maybe will be a dream to be achieved. Amanda Shires is so fun and so cool. This interview is very enjoyable to listen to. I hope you like it. We're going to hear a clip of a song that maybe you've heard before. It's uh, The High Women Redesigning Women. This is a project that Amanda put together. It features herself, Brandy Carlisle, Marin Morris, and Natalie Hemby. Their album comes out September 6th. So whenever you're listening to this podcast, 
it's out about the time that the podcast comes out. So uh, let's hear this clip and then we'll get to our interview with Amanda Shires on Basic Book. Full-time living on a half-time schedule. Always trying to make everybody feel special. Learning when to break and when to hit the pedal. Working hard to look good till we die. A critical reason there's a population. Raising eyebrows and a new generation. Rosie the Riveter with renovations. And always gets better with the wine. Redesigning the women. Running the world while we're cleaning up the kitchen. Making bang, shaking hands, driving eighty. Well, thanks for doing this. We really so appreciate it. it. Yeah. So the first time, like I was saying, that we met was at WYP. Mm-hmm. And me and my morning co-host, Joey, were like so excited that you and Jason were at the studio. But we just like were like deer in headlights. Mm-hmm. And you kind of just like walked up to us and we're like, hi. And um, all of a sudden, like after five minutes it felt like we were like really close wonderful friends so you have we are. yeah <laughs> so like in our brief interaction you were like very kind very friendly um and very open and so I'm wondering like growing up what your experience was like with those particular attributes like were you always no, that no. way or did your family like instill lessons on manners and Basically, like, why are you so nice? <laughs> um, I think it's just all in the eyes. I think you can tell a lot about a person by the their eyes. I'm not trying to be all cliche about windows to the soul or anything, but just general paying attention to people and their just the way their face looks. You could get a lot from expression and stuff like that. And I think um, we're all a lot more connected than we even realize as we walk around in our own little circles with our own same problems and. Um, yeah, I didn't really learn any of that from anybody, I don't think. I think I just like people. Hmm. Yes. Or like, care, maybe. Hmm. maybe. I don't know. Um, and when you were young, your parents split up, so you spent a lot of time between Lubbock and Mineral Wells, mm-hmm. Texas. So what was each place like for you? And I'm particularly interested in where music was in each of your homes. In Mineral Wells, where I lived first, I lived there until my folks divorced when I was somewhere around four and a half or five. And um, they listened to music. And, you know, my mom has lots of stories of going to see shows like REO Speedwagon and, you know, whatever. And uh, Are your parents both from Texas? No, my dad's from Texas originally and my mom's from Illinois originally. And then her mother left abandoned her at a young age and um she moved around and was in new mexico and stuff like that and um it's kind of, i kind of have a lot of songs on my new record to have to do with her mm. but um anyway in in mineral wells you know my dad and them they listened to country music and my dad was kind of a rock and roll guy you know he was in the army and then now he does wholesale nurserying and um my mom she's always listened to music and she, neither of them played anything but her musical tastes were very wide and and even today she still brings new music to me like I seek out new music all the time but she also has had a big part in you know bringing me new new music to me which I think is interesting because a lot of people quit listening to music after 30 like Mm -hmm. new music and stuff but um no she had everything from James Taylor to the worst Steely Dan when I was like 10 I was visiting my dad in the summer 
and we went to a pawn shop because that's where he likes to buy all of his hunting knives and things. And there was a violin hanging up there and I convinced him to buy it for me. And we were by no means a family of means, but um, said he would get it if I would learn to play it. And then I got it and took it to his house and broke all the strings. And when summer was over, my mom got me enrolled in lessons. And yeah, that's can you tell me a little bit more about that violin in the pawn shop? Because was it like green and orange? Yeah, it was was leaning towards green, green and like yellow. It was a Chinese made fiddle. Uh, It was a brand called Lark. Yeah, it was it was a good starting instrument, but very. Do you remember what drew you to it? Just the I think just the shape of it looked mysterious. Like I don't even remember ever having heard many violins or fiddles in passing, probably for sure. But so your mom signed you up for some instruments. You were learning the Suzuki method, Mm -hmm. and then at some point you kind of started getting bored. But then your teacher showed you some fiddle songs that he was learning from the Texas Playboys band and um, the the history of that type of music is is one that's passed down orally and um, he was taking on the big task of writing it all out he was and, transcribing yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, he's, the first one he showed me was a Bob Wills song called Spanish Two Step and that's when I found what I wanted to be doing and it's a hard thing to describe knowing what you want to do because you know it was young and had no frontal lobe development so it's tough yeah yeah <laughs> and um then my mom said I could continue doing that if I paralleled you know that with the orchestra and all those things which was really good was that in school you were in orchestra mm-hmm. as an orchestra and then I did all the city things like the city orchestras and the regional orchestras and so did you like playing an orchestra? Oh, yeah. yeah. I still love, I mean, still love classical music and listen to it regularly. And um, when I have long times at home um, in room, I'll drag out all the music and, you know, play All it. the classical music? Yeah. yeah. And, and I have all the fiddle stuff, too. It's um, So is there, like, when you're playing, like, a fiddle tune versus when you're playing classical, is there, there like, a, a different feeling inside of you? Yeah. Yeah, there is. There is, for sure. I mean, they're both meditative like I find that music is very meditative that's probably why I don't do active meditation but um I have I have a lot of really great memories of playing the fiddle and where I learned to play fiddle and how I learned to play fiddle with you know the old guys on the porch and the feeling of having a place kind of in the violin I feel more like it's it's like I know what I'm saying when I play something violin wise they both do that but violin Violin and orchestra type things, the the moods and the tones are a little bit, a lot different, I think, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just like listening to fiddle tunes versus listening to classical, your yeah. brain processes mm-hmm. them in a different And then it's interesting, sure. too, because then I'll blend the two in my own music, you know, to the different, you know, bowing techniques or the decisions on how you can make, you know, you can make harmonics and stuff and all that stuff and mm-hmm. the decisions on how and what you want something to sound like. So blending all the things that I learned in both of those things, I think that's a really interesting question. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah. No, thanks. no, I mean, thanks for answering. So I haven't, haven't answered it yet. <laughs> well, um, so when you're 15, you started actually playing with the Texas Playboys. So you went on the road with those guys who were like, you were 15 years old, and they were in their 70s and 80s mm-hmm. at that time. So what was that dynamic like between you and, and the rest of the band? It was 
it was my it's my first experience you know of working as as a band and working with anybody else and so I really can say that everything else I compared to that and um, when I was young I didn't know the importance of their legacy and their what's it called the the, the waves and the paths they made in music and I just loved the music and um, but hanging out with them was like hanging out it was really like hanging out with it was like hanging out with your family, like like a bunch of granddads or regular dads, or you know. And I learned, yeah, I learned a lot about about expectation and how to how to um, be mindful when you're playing music and when the audience is present too. And had a lot of Jello for dessert. There would wind up being like eight or nine Jellos, or you know, some kind of pudding. How do you think that, like looking back now, how it was advantageous or not advantageous to experience your first tour with like much much older musicians I mean they'd seen everything that had ever that could ever possibly happen or go wrong on stage and um, I think I learned a lot about I learned a lot about how to listen to to other folks on stage while you're in your own mind a lot trying to keep a hold of the chords and the melodies and the notes and the words and a lot of a lot of band dynamics and and I guess, I guess just playing as a group I learned from him for sure mm. learned about how important it is to um, show up with your gear working and be on time and mm-hmm. um, have fun you know you take you you have all this like practice where you practice and you want to do your best and you, you and you want to perform well and as close to perfectly as you can and um, it's kind of an understood thing that everybody knows that and you know you're responsible to know your own material and then sometimes when you get up on stage and you've done this a hundred times in your room, something could happen. And mm. um, it was serious the whole time, but it's also very forgiving for forgiving environment to be in when you when something did shock you or go wrong. Like if you did break a string for the first time on stage, what do you do? Oh my God, I'm so sorry, but it's not your fault. Or um, or how to handle somebody that an audience member that might have had too much to drink and um, how to not engage or engage when appropriate and how to handle situations. Like I learned a lot from those guys. Yeah. They, you know, if it, if something technical happened, I, I, you know, I think I learned a lot about how to handle those types of things gracefully. Yeah. It really mm-hmm. seems like that experience kind of set you up for a lot of success. It did. In your career. I, well, I don't know about success, but it set me up <laughs> for, um, for um, not being a, person that some people I feel like there are a lot of folks out there that, that kind of get a bad rap for being a diva or something just because they're just because they might care a lot and not know how to handle things when shit hits a fan but so also one more question about those guys um, did that experience with those older musicians affect your perspective of aging of being around older mm-hmm. people I, I mean I've always loved old people I, I don't even know why same way John Prine probably did. But um, no, uh, I feel like when you get to keep some part of your imagination or some part of your, your spirit intact or some, some of your freedoms and, you know, whatever your passions are, if you, if you keep a hold of those things, I feel like you don't really age. I mean, maybe your body wears out, but I don't mm-hmm. think you really age, age. But I'm only 36 or 37. I'll have to look at Wikipedia. Um <sighs> And you're 37. I'm 30, 37 yes. <laughs> officially, and um, I'm comfortable with wrinkles. You've called the fiddle a lonesome instrument, and you said that they've got their own minds. How do you relate your own personality to that of the fiddle? Um, and it could all be projecting, I guess. But um, the the it's a wild thing 
the fiddle or violin. There are a lot of things you have to, I don't know, I feel like fiddle players are um, monogamous instrumentally, you know, guitar players will buy 200 guitars and fiddle players will keep, you know, one or two Just around. One, yeah. yeah. To, like if you have a backup sometimes, but I think that there's something to everything about how you hold it and how close you have to hold it to your body. Like the, the sounds even of, of a different fiddle when you're right next to it are different. They vibrate and you can feel the vibrations through your chest. Like you can feel it. Like I like to give people lessons so they can feel what it feels like. But, um, you just look around for a fiddle. I just did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought it was right there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's a it's a melody instrument 90% of the time. Like it's a, you know, can, it's compared to the voice and all that kind of thing. It's not one that you really get up on stage and, you know, be Eric Clapton with the solo blues man. I mean, you could, but it's really a, an instrument of of melody and you know you have to hold it so close and your hands are so close and all the the spacings are, are relative and tuning is always an issue because it the heat and the cold affect and the humidity affect everything about the instrument yeah I think you get to know it so well that you understand how it's reacting to the day you know as far as the environment mm. and that it's in and weather and and then, then maybe, yeah, you do project a little bit, but then you bring your own variables to it that day, like your own feelings or your own, where your muscles are at that day or, you know, what, all kinds of stuff. And then I think you develop a relationship where you kind of understand one another. And I know a fiddle doesn't have a brain, but maybe it does have a soul. Who knows? Sounds like your first baby. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. And then, then, you know, it, we're superstitious folks, violin players. Mm. Mine was made in Afghanistan by a guy named Jeffrey Allison, who had joined the army. The army, yeah, to learn to be a luthier. He before the war came out, broke out, broke out before there was yet another war. He hoped to go to Germany and study with the guy over there, and it didn't work out. So he brought one book and a couple of tools and built them, and you know would cart them in the tank and stuff and. He's an amazing violin maker, and I just think that's really, really amazing too. Just to, it would fit a violin story to have to go through stuff like that. You made your way to Nashville to pursue songwriting, and um, how did you find that town when you arrived versus how you feel about it now? Yeah, when I got there, well, see, Billy Joe Shaver told me my songs were good, so I moved up there to try and do that. And the reason I couldn't do that in Texas is because I was known as a side player. And um, I would try to book myself, and they'd be like, yeah, but aren't you just a fiddle player? And I was like, no, I'm making up songs, you know. And um, so I moved to start over because I felt like I was I was not trying hard, as hard as I could, or I was allowing that to be be a truth that, yeah, I was a side person. like I, And I was comfortable, like I was making a living and all that kind of stuff. I didn't need to wait tables or anything like that. And... Um, I kept falling back into just taking jobs as a side person until... Because it was, like, kind of a comfortable thing. Yeah, and also it was, like, a mix of, like, I had this stability and security, and at the same time I was having trouble getting into this other lane. And um, when I would have trouble, I would just go ahead and take some more side player work, and so it wasn't really helping the, the my new goal uh, as it started. So I just put everything... I sold all my record collection, and I put everything in a U-Haul got up to Nashville and 
got a job waiting tables and started sitting in on Broadway with my fiddle with the, you know, the country bands that do the tourist stuff and um, saved my tips and then started making um, West Cross Timbers. First, I found the town lonely as anybody would when they move up somewhere from somewhere where they had a network and friends and those kinds of things. But you, you make people, you can make new friends and um, you can also convince your best friend to move to Nashville eventually. But then I, you know, and then I moved up there and there wasn't as many restaurants, you know, there was like three really good places to eat. That might be over-exaggerating here. Maybe there's five, but the, the spirit of it was wonderful. The Everybody moves there, so every person I met were like, welcome to Nashville. How can I, you know, help make your life easier? Somebody once did that for me. And um, there's a, a big a big sense of, of community, for sure. And it wasn't just limited to top 40. You know, there's punk bands and rock and roll bands. And, yeah, Leonard Cohen lived there in Franklin for a while. So I felt like it'd be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I read that. You broke your left hand. Mm, I left my finger in a bunch of spots. In yeah, was it like it's amazing. Eight or nine years ago. No, in twenty eleven. Was oh. that eight or nine years? Yeah. Ago? See, I got the scar. It's all going away. Good, well now, but I still have pins in it. Sounds like a serious injury. It was so serious. Who would have thought? Um, I was supposed to play at Newport the next day, but I couldn't. So right, of course. Yeah. Right. Did that change the way that you played? Oh yeah, definitely. I still still have some problems with it, but um, it's kind of like the synapses fire, and sometimes it just stays. Or mm. which side. finger is it? This one. It's like your yeah. ring finger. So when it gets swollen, I don't have a ring on sometimes. But my husband knows that because he met me when it was broken. So oh, no, so. he didn't meet me when it was broken. We started hanging out when it was broken. Right. That was. I couldn't drive my standard car, so he had to come drive me to my doctor's appointment. That was my next question. <laughs> that you and Jason start. Like, you knew each other, but mm-hmm. you started getting really close because mm-hmm. he would drive you to doctor's visits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I played with who's, him. Wait, whose idea was that to have him drive you to the doctor? I think it was his. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but we'd known each other and been friends forever. And when I broke my finger, everybody was reaching out just because that's a scary thing for somebody to have to go through as a musician. You know, and you think that it's gonna go away or you won't be able to do it anymore. Um, luckily I had a really good hand surgeon, but, and then we were talking about it on the phone. He was like, well, I'm not doing anything right now. I'll just come take you to your doctor's appointments and stuff mm. like that. And I was like, cool. And you had been playing in his band. On and off. Yeah. Right. For, for a few years. I heard a funny story about when you first met him, you walked up to him and you said, aren't you supposed to be famous? Well, see what you don't know is that he, he was, um, at this bar that I was playing at, and he had, before this, there wasn't anybody there, okay, um, <laughs> like five people there to see our music show, and he pulled a chair up into the middle of the room, and just was that, it was that guy, just oh. in the middle of the room, like that, and so, That's you know, I had to do a jab, <laughs> I had to be like, well, you, you're supposed to be some kind of famous guy, though, <laughs> just sitting there looking like that, acting like that. <laughs> So reading about your career as a side player, um, one of the things that you said is that you have to develop your communication with the other artist. I'm interested in how you do that normally and specifically, how did you do that with, with Jason and what was that process like? It's just like like this, just um, we just talk and try to figure out, you know, translate what what the person's goal is or or get to the bottom of a song or because a lot of times what happens is if if you if you know your instrument and I don't know a whole lot about guitar and we're 
trying to communicate with language that applies to each of our instruments, it can sometimes get a little bit tricky just because some of the vocabulary is different or non-existent for certain instruments, especially if it's not an orchestral type background with some people, but just try to be a good listener. And if, if it's not working out what you think the person wants you to play and they're, they want you to try something different and it's still not making a lot of sense. I just try to keep trying different things. I'm like, do you mean more like this or try to compare it to other things? Like you mean like David Lindley on this song or, you know, uh, fucking Manchester orchestra, you know, whatever, <laughs> just trying to come up with things that, that are re relative somehow or related somehow. Your daughter comes on the road with you and, and Jason, mm -hmm. and it seems like it's always kind of been the case. Is that mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so how's, how's that going? And is it a struggle to keep her life normal and grounded? Well, her, her normal is not going to be the same as everybody else's normal, but um, Shooter Jennings turned out cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as that goes, like my dream is to, you know, I'm not trying to talk about differences in women versus men's careers and all that. And I know that's not the question you asked, but um, I'd like my career to get into a place where that I could take her on the road with me. Because right now she goes with him because he has more luxurious touring setup. But I mean, he worked hard for it. I'm not blaming him. So there's two buses. So there's a family bus that allows her schedule. And then there's the band bus that's the, you know, show schedule and rock and roll schedule when I go out to meet them, it's awesome and comfortable. And, uh, she's got the best nanny ever and he's an amazing dad and she's super smart. So I don't know. I think the only thing I know to do is just do our best and try to be conscious and aware of, of her needs, you know, but you know, toddlers kind of do that naturally. They're mm. very selfish. Yeah. <laughs> she seems like the best kid. She's awesome. Yeah. I like, I only know her, so nothing to compare her to. <laughs> The high women. Mm -hmm. Ready to talk about this? Oh yeah, yeah. Definitely. All right. That's uh, super one group. of my projects. Yeah, super group with um, Brady Carlisle, Marin Morris, Natalie Hemby. Why? It seems like you were a pretty pretty big part of putting this operation together. I had the idea in 2016. I was touring in my van, you know, after my daughter was born, and it sort of started with Marissa Moss or Marissa Ross. She's gonna kill me because I can't ever remember if her last name's an M or an R. Moss. You think it's Marissa R. Moss. That's why it confuses me. <laughs> so I'd read some of her article, or read an article of hers. I don't know who she wrote it for, but it was talking about um, country radio and the lack of um, women's voices. And she had examples of radio stations and lists of songs and what they were and all this and who was playing what and not playing what. And I decided that I was going to see more for myself just because sometimes I'm skeptical about facts, I guess, in, or, where, or where people's information comes from. And I didn't know her at this point, but I just thought it was fascinating, that, that whole thing. And, and so I started listening to the radio stations, the top 40 ones, and writing down in the van the names of the artists and the songs. And after 18 songs, there was like not, there was one woman that was played and went on and on. And you know, things start and get inceptionized. Just made that word up. And then <laughs> you wind up thinking, you know, one day where you're driving a long drive in the van, you think, 
my daughter's showing signs for wanting to get into the music business. Great. This is a terrible idea. Um, what's the worst that could happen? This is me talking to myself. Mm-hmm. Well, the worst that could happen currently is that she would want to be in country music. And that was terrifying to me just because there weren't, there wasn't any room. And I just thought, well, what can I do to try and make it better or easier? Or, you know, what can I do to try to do something? And that started with the idea of the highwaymen and then the highwomen. Just because it, it, I love the highwaymen. And it seemed like something you couldn't do by yourself. So I started the idea there with the intent of, of or intention of trying to just get more women together and not have to, you know, fight it out or not support one another. Because in the past, if you looked at people's Twitters and stuff, nobody ever celebrated the fact that another person within that genre had something coming out. Because it was, mm. it was, it was real, and it's it was a, it's bred into you to to protect what you can get, like like you're a, a, a you know lion trying to hold on to the last piece of you know hyena meat. I don't know. It was crazy. I'm wandering all over the place now. But anyway, started the idea, and then then I got up enough uh, guts to bring it up to Dave Cobb when I was in the studio one day. I was telling him about what I wanted to do, and he has a daughter, and uh, he's like, "You really should do that." And I said, "Yeah, I really should." Should my he said, "You should call Brandy," and I said, "Cool." Don't know her number, and I don't know her, and um, <laughs> he's like, he gave me the number, and I didn't call her, and then you know. Many months later, I was at a show where she was, and I said, I want to start a band called The High Women, and I want you to be in it. And she was about to go on stage. She's like, I want to hear more about this idea. So <laughs> here's my phone number. And I was explaining that I already had it, and then it got real confusing. And um, yeah, then the rest became this. The record's not out quite yet, but the songs that are out when... So I was listening to the, the songs and also trying to read... Like when I prepare for these interviews, mm-hmm. I like listen to the music and try yeah. to read articles at the same time. But when I was listening to the high women, I felt like so drawn in listening to every word, which mm-hmm. is like not always the case mm-hmm. for me. Like I, when I listen to the high women, I can't focus on anything else but what you all are singing. Was that intentional to make it, the lyrics almost seem conversational? It's like more like listening to a dialogue than it is to listen to singing. Mm. I think at the beginning of the project, it was always a, a we made a conscious effort to um, write songs and, and pick songs that had, I guess, stories behind them or, or they had to do with uh, domestic or daily lives because so many times in country music, you're you're dealt with the spot of, of having to sing the, you know, needy woman song or a sassy song or a gospel song. And, you know, like you don't hear a lot of your, right. get a lot of your like, lessons from a woman's voice in that's so in true that area yeah. yeah i mean and there were you know examples in the past of like divorce and the pill and things like that but for the most part in the past few years many years it's it's been kind of those are the songs you get those are the stories you tell that's mm-hmm. pretty much all you have to say really is that right. you need a man you know right. stuff like that but it's not really true it's only true because that's what that's the money button that people push or something i don't really know how that all works i guess i'm learning because i don't operate in that that world really you know Mm -hmm. but the songs yeah it was always going to be the best the best songs win and all four of us 
have always believed in songs first, you know. Mm. I wanted to talk about a person's outward image being sexual, but in an empowering, positive way. Like Tori Amos is a great example of an artist with a very sexual image, but it's like very clear that her sexuality is like solely for herself. It's not Mm -hmm. for anyone else. It's very like artful, very stylish. Mm -hmm. And I'd say the same about like Prince, David Bowie, Janelle Monae, Lizzo. And I think to me, I could, you could totally disagree with (laughs) Cardi B. Mm -hmm. Yes, totally. So there has been like a clear evolution of your style and image that has taken a turn in that direction. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you agree Mm -hmm. or not, but where do you see your own image landing and who is your image for i mean it's for anybody that that's not offended at the side of me but um (laughs) (laughs) it's uh it's really for myself you know i mean it's kind of selfish like i want to i want to be the person i am i don't want to i don't want to a lot a lot of times our our parents and grandparents were told that at a certain age they can't wear their hair in little space buttons anymore and i think that that's just horse crap and um (laughs) and i think that you are still an important and valuable woman, beautiful at any age and still attractive and sexy as hell at any age. It's just, uh, it's just, I think it's personal decisions on how you show or don't show that, or it's learned decisions that, that we're, that are like constructs where we're taught that you can't show, you know, your midriff after you've had a baby because it kind of wrinkles up in a weird way. But I think that's horse crap too. Uh, I'm going to wear the shirt I'm going to wear and the trolls can go ahead and make fun of where did her belly button go. I don't care. Um, yeah, I just don't want somebody to tell me that at a certain age I have to look a certain way or, or wear a certain thing because I think it's just baloney. I mean, yeah. I thank God we get to wear pants and we got we get to have credit cards now. We couldn't even have credit cards in the 70s. Right. What the fuck is that? I wanted to end the interview asking you, you mentioned him earlier, but asking you about your connection to Leonard Cohen and how did you feel find his music um and how has your connection with him evolved over time i found his music um, when i was working at this record store in lubbock texas called ralph's records and um i was drawn to i guess just the record cover at first and then the music is so simple and so layered like gorgeous perfect lines i think and then i started reading about him and reading everything he ever wrote and watching every interview he's ever done and every concert he's ever done. And I just feel like, for me, I feel like when I read his interviews or the way he talks or the way he comes across, I feel like it, it goes with the things that I think in my mind. One day I hope to be as good at writing as he was, but I mean, I, it won't be the end of the world if I never reach that because he did it. So it's really, it doesn't need to be a second. And um, uh, I just, I just, appreciate all the work that he did as a searcher and and with even within religion and and music like I feel like this is kind of lazy but part of me is like I don't have to go visit every type of religion or denomination and try to find all that because he already did it and he, he got no clearer in his answers but he still knows there's a higher power so that for me is pretty good and that might sound like I'm blaspheming but I'm not trying to um and I also love that he was a poet and he was you know, understood the choices that you make when you choose certain words and, and the the attachment that certain words have to other things. Like, you know, if you're using the thesaurus and you, you're not, the word isn't shiny, it's supposed to be, you know, something else. 
iridescent. It's a mm. bad example, but um, the difference in, in, in the word choices and when to use them and how even a preposition could change what you mean when you're trying to get your point across. I just really respect the time he took and the care he took, and it's not a bad story about him, his reputation, you know. Did you hear that story Rufus Wainwright told in I'm Your Man, where he, Leonard Cohen was, he walked into the kitchen and Leonard Cohen was in his underwear feeding a baby baby bird on the stove mm-hmm. with like he had like food in his mouth yeah. and he was giving it to the baby bird and then he so excused great. himself and he came back in like a full suit it's so awesome <laughs> so amazing he, he was an impeccable impeccable dresser too. oh yeah but no the only thing i haven't seen or read or heard of his yet is that uh the new movie with marianne in it oh i haven't seen Elon. that either yeah that one it came out when i was in canada but it was in select theaters, and then I got to Nashville, and it was gone. So Dang. now I'm just you know sitting around waiting. Right, right. Well, that's good. Something I bought his to guitar too. You bought his guitar? Yeah. Well, I bought a guitar he used a lot in the studio, and um, uh, at Christmas time, Dave Cobb called me and he said, "My this engineer friend of mine has some of his things," and, and uh, he said, "I don't feel comfortable getting it without letting you know about it first. And um, <laughs> I got lucky. That's great. That's awesome. Do you ever play it? Or you just- yeah, I wrote Cocktail on a, in a song on that for the High Women record. That's the first song I wrote with that guitar. And um, I haven't had time to spend writing more on that guitar. Well, Jason did take it away from me and did some writing with it recently. He took then we the got, guitar away from you? Not like in like a thing. He just, t- he <laughs> he just took it out it. of the, the humidifier case. And oh. I came in, I was like, what in the hell are you doing with my damn guitar? He's <laughs> like, I'm writing a song. I was like, you're not writing a song on my Leonard Cohen guitar. <laughs> How many Grammys do you need? That sounds like a song though. You're not writing <laughs> yeah. a song on my Leonard Cohen guitar. That does. Okay. Okay. <laughs> can't copyright a title, so I can't give you a percent for that title. So. <laughs> well, you're the one that said it. <laughs> right. Right. True. Yeah. True. And we have it yeah. on record. Yeah, we do. That's yeah. on record. Um, no, but that did lead to a little, little, little bit of a a ruffling of uh, feathers, <laughs> but we straightened it out. Oh, he good. understands that once I get comfortable with the guitar more, that he'll be allowed to use it more. Right. We, we don't fight about anything else, really. Just Leonard Cohen. Yeah, you can <laughs> fight about something. Yeah. Our arguments are all word choice arguments. <laughs> um, okay, we do this thing on this podcast called the lightning round. Sweet. Okay. Do I get to do it? You get to do it. Do I get to do it back to you? No, you just answer the questions. No. Yes. Okay, fine. Well, we'll just take a break and then we'll come back. Basic Folk is brought to you in part by Tina and Her Pony, a queer duo bringing traditional Appalachian music and vocal harmonies into the 21st century. Visit tinaandherpony.com. And thanks to WIUP in Indiana, Pennsylvania, which airs Basic Folk 2 p.m. Eastern every Saturday you can listen on their website, WIUPFM.org. Amanda Shires, are you ready lightning, for the lightning round? Lightning, lightning round. round. What do I do? Um, just like one or two word answers. Yeah. You okay, give and then opinion. I'm going to do it back to you, okay. even though you said no. Okay, great. Um, dogs, cats, or something else? Something else. What is the something else? Oh, <laughs> sorry. I thought it was a, like an ABC answer. Okay, something else. Birds, of course. Oh, all right. What is your coffee order? Uh, cappuccino none of that skinny girl bullshit (laughs) what's the first album you bought with your own money that would be uh boys to men the one where uh 
Wait till the water runs dry. I'll watch our whole lives pass oh, us yeah. by. Make the biggest mistake of, of our lives. Don't do it, baby. That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, first concert? Black Street and New Edition. Whoa, okay. You're cool. Well, the, the thing about the violin that I just remembered is um, I heard a violin on West Side Connection's uh, Bow Down song, and um, I was also gonna be a hip hop fiddleist. And um, turns out that was just a synthesizer, synthesized violin, so um, it's cool. You know, to sit at the lunch table, you had to keep up with pop music, and I also love rap and hip hop, while I simultaneously learned Texas fiddle. What is your dream collaboration? Dream collaboration, because sometimes it changes. Because for a while it was Method Man, and then lately it's Billie Eilish. Oh, cool. Yeah, That'd like I cool. think it'd be real cool to make up some kind of cool um, hooks or riffs, you know, violin style. Mm. Uh, Beatles or Rolling Stones? Beatles. When you have a baby, do you find out what the gender is, or do you wait to find out? Find out. Flying or invisibility? Those are the only two choices. Those okay. are the two choices. Invisibility. Is there, well, th what would the third be? Mind reading. Uh, it would be a time, like where you could, where string theory worked and you could go, I could be, like I could be here and then tomorrow I would just be in Philly without having to do any traveling, like. Uh, oh, I would choose that one. Yeah, teleportation. Teleport, okay. Yeah, which I think <laughs> might be the title of my next record. Nice. Um, Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Trek, don't judge me. Not at all. Which which version? John Luke Picard. Mm, next generation yeah. with number one. Yeah. Um, what is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? I'll go with Hydra. Greece. Mm -hmm. My Lyft driver yesterday to the airport was from Greece, and he gave me all sorts of information about mm -hmm. visiting Greece. It was great. Mm -hmm. I gave him my card. And That's was like, awesome. You should call me. Yeah. <laughs> Tell definitely. me more. You went October last year. And something about Leonard, he had like a Leonard Cohen. He had record. a house in Hydra when he would, where he would go in between, um, where he'd go and write, and that's where he met Marianne, and um, then come back. You know, he'd earn money and then just go live out there and write. And uh, like he wrote Bird on the Wire, Bird on a Wire out there when they put telephone lines up. But even today, there's no cars up there. You have to get a donkey to take your bags to your room, and there's no, um, like advertising for, you know, drinks and, um, you know, whatever, sports drinks or, you know. Like billboards. Yeah, none anything. of that stuff. No, like, People Magazine type stuff or anything like that. It's just they make their clothes there. They have to import the water there. They make olive oil there. It's a very beautiful place. Wow. Well, that's it. That's oh, that was easy. Around. We did okay. it. Okay. All Here's right. yours. Ready? Okay. Batman or Superman? Um, Batman. Because he's just a regular man. That's true. That's true. That's a good one. Um, dire Straits or Steely Dan? Dire Straits. Thank God. What are you? What am I crazy? <laughs> Making movies. Um, okay. Poisonwood Bible or think of another one that's that good. Uh, Prodigal Summer. I haven't read either of those books. That's okay. Okay, okay. I'll read. That was yes. a terrible lightning round. <laughs> Dream collaboration or interview. Eddie Vedder. Nice. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Ranunculus or peonies? Peonies. Nice. Chickens or ostriches? Chickens. Okay. How was that? Lightning that was round? great. That was a good lightning round. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, zodiac sign oh. <laughs> or Enneagram? 
uh, Enneagram. Okay. This is great. Thank you so much, Amanda. Are you going to come to the show? Yeah, we're coming. Oh, yeah. Okay, it's at Thanks. nine. What are you yeah. going to do until then? Just drink rosé. That's awesome. <laughs> That's a great idea. couple things to say. Amanda Shires is so, um, at the end of the interview, she said, like, what are you guys going to go do? And I was like, drink rosé. And then she invited us into her green room and listened to the High Women record while we drank rosé. And it was so fun. And then uh, her band played after that. We recorded this at the Hamilton in Washington, D.C., which is a really cool venue. And her band sounded amazing. And also all those guys, super nice. We get to um, get to know them a little bit before we saw them play. And I also want to point out for the record the two books that um, Amanda uh, suggested, Prodigal Summer and the Poisonwood Bible. I just um, ordered those books, so I'm going to read them. You can find more information about this podcast at cindyhouse.net. Adam Corey produced this podcast. Lindsay Myers is our business manager. Alex Stanton does our music. I'm Cindy Howes, and I produce this podcast and host it and do all the stuff and write the newsletters and post all the posts on the uh, Facebook group page, Basic Folk Basics, which you can join. And thank you for listening. I will talk to you later. Listen to the High Women and see Amanda Shires live. It's incredible. Okay, bye. Bye.